Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Key, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. It's Rupert in just a few moments. Time now for our play by play call of the day. Swing and a fly ball center field. There it is. Aaron Judge. All rise. That's your chance. John Shambi with the call on ESPN Radio last night as Aaron Judge wins the home run derby in Miami. Very pleased to bring in now Mitch Rupert from Blazeford. Mitch, welcome. Great to have you with us. Hey, Steve, thanks for having me. I appreciate you taking the time to uh, to let me talk, talk some uh, Cutters baseball. Yeah, let's, I had Adam Hazley on the show yesterday, and uh, about as uh, nice an on-air conversation as you can have with, a, with anybody. Uh, what's it been like for you to deal with someone who at least walks into Williamsport with a profile? Uh, it, you know, you, we're always excited to, to get a high round draft pick, uh, especially I think, you know, I've learned to appreciate it more because it's been a few years since we've had one. You know, the last one we had here in Williamsport was Mitch Guller, um, who was here for three years and, and things didn't work out for him. And now he's playing college football out at Idaho State, I think, uh, with his brother. Um, but we missed out on Mickey Moniak. We missed out on J.P. Crawford and Cornelius Randolph. Um, so when we heard uh, there was a chance Adam was going to be in Williamsport, you know, I'm obviously excited for that opportunity. Um, just to see the quality of baseball player he is. And the thing I noticed right away with him, and, and the, the best way I can describe it is he's just different. And it's not about the numbers on the stat sheet. It's all about how he goes about his business, you know, and I'm going to share this story in, in a column later this week, but the other day he walked up to the batting cage to date BP, and I was there, and I looked at him like, Adam, how you doing today? He's like, good. And I looked at him and I said, are you sure? I said, your face never really changes. And he goes, you know, just trying to get ready for the game. You know, he's got that laser focus all the time, and I think you could hear it in your interview with him a little bit yesterday. You know, he's single-minded focused on whatever he's doing at that very moment and it's tough to get him off of whatever he's focused on and as a as a pure baseball fan watching his preparation is a pure treat uh because it's it's so much fun to watch somebody who's got that level of talent and the craftsmanship that goes into honing that talent it's been so much fun steve been a lot of third round picks that have played there in recent years. I mean, Luke Williams last year, Jan Hernandez, Cord Sandberg. There's one there this year as well. That's a third round pick. But this is also a year, Mitch, where they've loaded up this team with the guys they drafted. There are 15 draft choices from this year on the team. What has that done for the club and at the same time for the interest in the club? Well, I think number one, 
it, it's been a beneficial to the to the young kids because, uh, as you saw, Steve, when when we opened up the season in State College, it was a really young group. I mean, Jalen Ortiz in right field is only nineteen, Cole or eighteen, Cole Stobie's only nineteen, Greg Pickett's twenty, but he didn't play all last year. Kyle Young is nineteen years old. Their left fielder's nineteen years old. So what it did by bringing in these college guys, especially someone like Adam Hazley with that work ethic is, I think it's showing these guys the level of commitment it takes to be good at their sport, to be good at their craft. You know, it's not just about showing up at at three o'clock in the afternoon and taking batting practice. It's about being there at noon and taking extra work in the field, about taking soft toss in the cage, about your tee work and hitting off the tee. And I think it's brought the level up with this group uh, that you just have to work harder if you want to be in the upper echelon of this team. I mean, Jake Shiner's a, a fourth-round draft pick with, with a real good pedigree. Adam Hazley, of course, we've talked about. But Nick Maton is a kid who was a Division One ball player before he went to, to junior college last year. Uh, Colby Fitch, who just came in, played at Louisville in the College World Series and was Brendan McKay's catcher uh, for, for three years at Louisville. These guys understand the work ethic it takes to be this good and, and to compete on this level, and they're transferring that over to kids who should either be freshmen in college or, in the case of Jalen Ortiz, a senior in high school. Let's talk about the ballpark itself, Mitch, because obviously this has been one of the great transformations that's happened to the point, and obviously the Cardinals and the Pirates will be playing there on August 20th. What feedback have you received from the club from fans and also the people who work there? The the number one thing when this thing whole started was uh, I said, and I had the conversation with other people, that this is great. This, I think this is going to be good for the Crosscutters business, um, you know, because they winning sport isn't a very big market. It's probably one of the, the smaller markets in the New York Penn League. So I thought the upgrades were going to be good for business. But the conversations I had with people were – the upgrades are nice, but you don't want to lose the charm that's associated with a 90-year-old ballpark. There was always that throwback charm uh, to Bowman Field. It's why it's historic Bowman Field. But the day I walked in and they had all the seats in and the dugouts were done and the walling and the padding and everything was done, I said, that is absolutely irrelevant. I said, this ballpark is gorgeous. This is a true top-quality minor league facility uh, and now they're playing on a major league quality playing service or surface on the field, and and I, I think everybody's kind of lost uh, that want to have that nostalgic aura of, of Bowman Field, and they're just happy to be in a really nice ballpark now. Yeah, I get that sense. And in talking to Adam yesterday, that's something he brought up right away. The playing surface means a lot to him. The fact that they're playing on a Major League Baseball playing surface at this level. Yes, absolutely. And I talked to the infielders about it uh, because it really affects them more than it does uh, the outfielders because you're dealing with ground balls. And you know towards the end of the summer uh, that the old surface at Bowman Field, you would start to get some nasty hops 
uh, as things kind of dried out just from the usage and it's just kind of how things go as the season progresses and uh, I was talking to Nick Macon about a week ago and he goes every hop you get now is a true hop and it's almost like you're playing on a turf field uh, you don't have to worry about it hitting a clump of dirt or the lip of the grass or anything you're going to get the hop that you expect from it and that that's huge I mean that that, that allows you to just worry about your technique and your mechanics and fielding a ground ball and not having to worry about if you're going to take one in the teeth. I want to ask you about the August 20th game because that's an invitation-only game. But what kind of buzz is there in the city about that, in a city that buzzes so much about the Little League World Series? The, uh, the, the general consensus that I get is they're disappointed that there's not going to be tickets available for the public. And I guess there is going to be uh, a couple hundred that are available through a lottery process. Um, but they understand how important this game is for the kids of the Little League World Series. I mean, most exactly. of the, the, the American teams, there's an opportunity for them within a couple hours of wherever they're from to go see a Major League ball game. But it's the international teams. It's, it's the kids that come here from Uganda, uh, the kids that come here from Italy, Australia, um, the, from Saudi Arabia, from you know the, the oil workers and, and defense workers uh, from Saudi Arabia, and, and, and these teams that are never going to get the opportunity to see a Major League Baseball game, and now they're going to get to see it here. And I, I've been around ball players enough to know they appreciate kids who just have a youthful exuberance for the game and are wide-eyed over the, the prospects of seeing big league ball players, And I think this is going to, to be beneficial for the big leaguers to see where these kids are and maybe understand where they used to be and how impactful they can be by taking 15 minutes before the game to go shake hands, you know, give fist pounds, sign an autograph or two. So I, I think it's going to be beneficial all around. Let's get to uh, back to the, the club in general. I talked about, uh, obviously, a couple of players. What are a couple of other prospects that you're seeing that almost, a, we're not quite a month in, but close to it, but have now made an impression where you know they've got that, that double-A look to them down the road? Well, I'll tell you what, on a number of occasions now, manager Pat Borders, as we've talked post-game, has said, you can walk into that clubhouse right now and see six to ten kids that are going to be in the big leagues. And, you know, Pat Borders is a guy who played 15, 18 years in the big leagues. He knows what a big league ball player looks like. Um, and it's it's tough to say because these kids are so young, but I always tell people you're looking for something that wouldn't look out of place on a big league field. So if you watch 18-year-old Jalen Ortiz and you see him hit a home run to the opposite field gap, you go, okay, that power doesn't look out of place on a big league field. And, and, and right now, Jalen Ortiz is trending in the direction of being a big-time prospect. I feel the same way uh, uh, about Rodolfo Duran, the catcher. Uh, he's only getting better as a receiver, and the pitchers rave about him uh, as a pitch caller. Uh, I love Malvin Matos, who probably isn't getting enough love for me because he's hitting ninth in the order. But the other day, he goes three for four with three doubles and drives in two runs, and he's got great speed. Um, Greg Pickett at first base, who's one of the top three or four hitters in the league right now, really he's hitting like about. 
Yeah, he's hitting about 370. He's using the opposite field, and oh, he hits the ball 420 feet too. You know, it's you know you can go down the list, and the story I wrote from their game Sunday when they beat Mahoning Valley was you can pull this lineup out of the hat and it's going to give you production. And uh, I didn't even mention Jake Shiner, who I think has the the ability to be a very good second-base prospect. He's still learning that position. But it, one through nine, Steve, this, this lineup is as good as any I've seen in nine years of covering the crosscutters. You've also seen a little bit of State College, obviously, along the way. What's the impression you get about them? The thing I love about State College, especially since the Cardinals have taken over, is you know you're going to get a well-played game uh, every time out. And and I talked with your partner, Joe Putnam, about this on the pregame show a couple weeks ago, that you know it's just going to be good, sound, fundamental baseball. You know, the pitchers are going to throw strikes. They're not going to walk the world. Uh, the, The catcher, Dennis Ortega, the one day he threw out Nick Maton stealing a base, yeah. and I think his his pop time was about one eight zero, and that just raises everybody's eyebrows. All the scouts I could see were starting to talk about that. Um, you know, they, they they just have ball players on the team, you know, and there's always one or two guys that end up hitting a ton out of the ball or somebody's hitting 330 and it's it's like the same thing every year with State College you just got a good group of ball players on that team every year and they're they're going to be in the mix and it's a team you're going to have to deal with if you want to try and win the Pinkney division Mitch it's always a pleasure I always enjoy running into you talking baseball anything uh, you're a real pros pro thanks so much it's uh, enjoyable to have you on anytime Steve thanks for having me I appreciate it Mitch Rupert, who does a great job of covering the cutters. Appreciate the time Mitch gave us today. We'll come back with more in a moment. We're, uh, we'll talk a, a bit, and I know the baseball all-star game is tonight, but a little bit about the Olympics and the fact that L.A. is guaranteed getting an Olympics within 11 years. They're guaranteed it. We'll talk about that in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK. National Olympic Committee said that they will make a decision in September. They voted unanimously today to award both the 24 and 28 Summer Olympics and to do so in September. Uh, the two mayors of the respective cities, Paris and L.A., are going to work out who goes first. In all likelihood, it is going to be uh, a... Uh, it's going to be Paris that goes in 24 and Los Angeles in 28. It's probably the way it's going to go. As we mentioned before, uh, the Olympic Games, you're talking about there There are cities that are backing out of bids left and right, that get into contention then back out. Uh, Boston, Budapest, Hamburg and Rome have all dropped out of contention to host 24. So now it's L.A. and Paris. The problem is is that you're getting referendums against these bids because of the money. Uh, when now, over a period of time, you have a body of work out there, and that's the issue. The, here's what the body of work has been telling you. You're getting abandoned venues 
and mounting debt. The 2016 Olympics in Rio de Janeiro took place ten and a half months ago. And guess what? They've got huge debt, and the venues... And I just talked to Russ Rose. Russ was just down in Brazil. He said, uh, not good. Tokyo gets the 2020 Summer Olympics. You know what their original budget was, Sean? $6.6 billion. Do you know what their budget is today now? $12 billion. They estimated that their budget would be $6.6 billion. Now the budget is $12 billion. Where do you make up for that money? The host city's contract does require the host city's government to serve as a backup in case the Olympics run over budget. It's in the contract. So if the Olympics run over budget, it is the host city that must make up the difference. That's in the contract. What helps Los Angeles and Paris, quite simply, is they already have some venues already in place. Do you know what the budget number was in Beijing? Let's take a, a round guess, Sean. Beijing, I will say $4 billion. Times 10. <laughs> $40 billion. Okay. What was Sochi? What was Sochi? Let's take a guess. Twenty-five times two, fifty-one billion. Now remember, and I pointed this out before, but when Putin put in that bid. And then spent all that money. Oil at the time when he was doing all this was running about, what, 105 to $107 a barrel, which is the primary export in Russia. And now it's running $43, $44 a barrel. And he went broke doing that thing. Now, Paris knows that at minimum they've got to spend $2 billion to build an Olympic village. They know they have to build an aquatic center. So they know they have to do that. But at least Paris and Los Angeles each have some facilities. Los Angeles, by the way, needs a track. Remember, they took the track out of the Coliseum a few years ago. But look for Paris again in 24 and Los Angeles in 28. But again, look at the money. That, the issue is not the, the greatness of the games. The issue is not the cachet it brings to your city. The issue is not the business it brings to your city. And the issue is not the worldwide recognition your city gets. It's not that. It's all money. This is why when I have Tony Knopp on, we talk about these issues. Okay? When your budget... For an Olympiad that's three years away, doubles. Tokyo, doubles. You've got a problem. When the last Olympics, the host city and nation are now 
abandoning venues. They're just gathering dust, doing nothing. And they've got debt all over the place. This is why people have backed out of doing it. Now, the one thing Los Angeles will be able to do, I'm sure, is to bring back a good, healthy dose of the Peter Ubroth model where they, he was able to come in there, get corporate support, and the corporate support made all the difference in the world. You're going to get great corporate support, especially in the United States. The United States has not had an Olympiad since the 2002 Salt Lake City Games and has not had a Summer Olympiad since 1996. So if they end up getting the Games in 2028, you're talking about 32 years between Summer Olympics and the United States. So they'll probably get some really good corporate support over at the Amazon Aquatic Center. Or is that Amazon Prime? Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Our sports bozo of the day. Jeffrey Loria, the owner of the Miami Marlins. Here they are in the All-Star game coming up tonight. So far, it's been a success in so many ways. But the Marlins are suing a former season ticket holder in order to seize a $725,000 building he owns. Loria initiated a foreclosure proceeding for a commercial building Kenneth Sack owns in Oakland Park, Florida, arguing that they can seize the property worth $725,000 to fulfill $97,000 that Sack owes the team as a result of another lawsuit in which the team sued Sack for backing out of a season ticket agreement. According to court documents obtained by USA Today Sports, Sack signed a four-year contract for season tickets in 2012 and paid for the first season, but then reneged and was sued by the Marlins in 2014 for the remaining $97,200 he owned. Sack was one of nine disgruntled season ticket holders and luxury suite owners to be sued by the baseball team because they opted out of the first round of season tickets, citing the Marlins' failure to honor commitments for season ticket holders, including free parking spaces. In January of this year, the Marlins won the judgment against Sack, although the ruling was appealed and the civil case remains open. In the meantime, the Marlins are going off the court ruling in an attempt to seize the $725,000 property. Both the original lawsuits and the latest one against Sack are unusual moves for a professional sports team, to say the least. When the teams struggle, as the Marlins have, legal action is usually avoided because of the negative publicity and the message it sends to its fan base. Miami's attendance numbers have been in the basement among Major League Baseball teams. Of course, they're hosting the All-Star game that will be sold out tonight. Messages left by USA Today Sports to the Miami Marlins uh, were not immediately returned. 
Their D.C.-based attorney, Kenneth Chase, did not immediately return calls. Lori is expected to sell the team most likely after the season. I mentioned Michael Jordan's now joining Derek Jeter in that bid. Uh, if Loria sells the team after March 2018, it will prevent the city and county from receiving 5% share of the profits. The sale is expected to close at a number of $1 billion. That's an interesting situation down there. Well, there you go. A very, very slow uh, time of the year. Sports-wise, Live for Life is Saturday. Keep in mind, it's at Haluba Hall this year. It is at Haluba Hall. Uh, They're doing field work over at the the, uh, lacrosse field. And with that in mind, it's going to be in Haluba Hall this time, which is where it originally began anyway, so... It's always a great time uh, uh, for fans to get out, see the players. I mean, they're all they're all in great shape. I can tell you that right now. They're in great shape, so that's not going to be an issue. Uh, I had a very interesting. Um, you, you heard me talking today uh, with Bob Flounders about uh, an interview I heard on. Sirius XM today with Bill Hancock, who runs the college football playoff committee. And the first thing that came up, it was Rick Neuheisel, who's been on our show. He was hosting it with Chris Childers. The first thing he came up with was, hey, uh... Excuse me, but uh, what about the Penn State situation last year? It's the first thing he brought up. And it was interesting. He said, look, he said, Penn State beat Ohio State, Ohio State got in. Okay. And they started talking about, well, you know, we have our own system. We look at it. And and Neuheisel pointed out to him, he says, well, excuse me. He says, you know, he says, it's really difficult when – uh, a beats B, B beats C, and C beats A, which is exactly what happened in the Big Ten East last year. And Neuheisel said, yes, he says, but the Big Ten has a tiebreaker, and the tiebreaker said Penn State was the champion. So then he started talking about, and this is where I thought it really got interesting, about Ohio State going to Oklahoma and winning. Now, to me, it's a, and when I, I was on a show today in Atlanta, and the same topic came up. And uh, in Atlanta, I talked more about Washington's non-conference schedule. I said, "You're out there playing a non-conference schedule where Rutgers is your your toughest opponent." I said that's an issue, and it goes against everything we've been told about the college football playoff. I said the bar seems to be a moving target every year as to what bar you're supposed to clear. Now, obviously, you need to win as many games as possible. The Ohio State thing, when he brings up Oklahoma, 
what do you think is the first thing I thought of? Yeah, they're playing Oklahoma. Penn State's got Pitt. Now, this this schedule was put together a few years ago. Originally, it was supposed to be a home and away with Pitt. Then it got extended to four games. And this just goes back to what I've been talking about the entire time. We are now in an era with nine conference games. Not eight. Where you have to be smart about how you schedule that non-conference game. Pitt, to its credit, is a good team. But let's be honest about it. As much as this area will be hyped over the Penn State Pitt game, and as much as Western Pennsylvania will be through the roof over the Penn State Pitt game, which it will be, on the national scene, the only thing that is going to make a ripple in the water going into the game is the fact that Penn State's playing in the game because Penn State is of the two, the one in the running to start the season for the college football playoff. It's the only reason it's going to draw any interest nationally in the game. And the two teams played last year, and it was found to be intriguing, but not nationally significant last year. I just have to take you back a year. Remember, you may have been excited about it. You're on TV, why are you excited about all the other games? Because they were perceived to be bigger games. Then Pitt won it, and Pitt went out next week and lost Oklahoma State. And last year, if you recall, what was brought up over and over again in the case against Penn State, it was never brought up that they lost to Pitt. It was always brought up that they lost by 39 to, to Michigan. So that brings up the big picture question. I'm listening to Bill Hancock talk about this today. And again, Ohio State's going to play Oklahoma, but this time in Columbus. And he brought that up. Now, it does run counter to what Washington did last year. But he kept bringing up the Ohio State-Oklahoma game. Now, he also made a rather disingenuous statement when it came to, well, we all know how the Penn State-Ohio State game played out, like it was, like he dusted it off. So you take a team, you shut them out over the final 23 minutes and win the game, and that's what? Penn State dominated Ohio State defensively the last 23 minutes of the game. Penn State dominated Ohio State in special teams all night. It's a big, you know, last I checked, that's two of the three boxes being checked. Did Ohio State win special teams that night? No. Did the Ohio State offense the second half of that game, except for the Curtis Samuel run, get anything going? No. No. But 
and just maybe look at the big picture of it. And again, you you got to decide what you want. And again, you have nine conference you have nine conference games. It leaves you with only three openings. That's it. And I've tried to explain this in many, many speeches over the years when people talk about non-conference scheduling. And I always come back to the same thing. I always make everybody put their hands up. How many of you in this room love wrestling? How many of you in this room love women's volleyball? Women's soccer? Baseball? Men's soccer? How many of you are proud of the men's track and field championship? You know, hands go up all over the place. Women's basketball, hands go up. I said, all right, you tell me how to pay for it. Part of the formula for paying for it is having those two home games guaranteed every year to get you the seven home games in football. That's part of the formula for paying for it. And you can dance the program all over the place around the country if you want, but you're going to have to drop sports to do it. You know, hey, let's play three non-con. Let's play. Let's pay. Play. You know, let's have only six home games and not seven. All right. Now you're looking around saying, okay, what do we do with budget cutbacks to other sports because you lose all that revenue from that home game. So you can't play a second home and away in there. You can't do it. Now you have to decide with the one home and away you can play with, how do you do it? That's why the Auburn thing has been so universally applauded. That is a national move. Some will say, well, look, Clemson plays South Carolina every year. Georgia plays Georgia Tech at the end. Louisville plays Kentucky. Florida plays Florida State. But what do the SEC and the ACC have in common? They both play eight conference games. They have four openings. So they can do anything they want with their openings. You know, when you have eight conference games, you have all sorts of non-conference flexibility. I'd be pushing hard with eight conference games to see Penn State and Pitt play each other every year if they had eight, because you could make that work. You'd be guaranteed four conference games every year. You could work out the schedule where you're flip-flopping as to the years you play at Pitt and the years you play at whomever the other marquee opponent is while still scheduling the two games that you you pay for. So with eight, you could do that with complete ease, and I would push very, very hard for that to happen. I think it's the logical way to do it. But when there's nine and you've got one opening, once in a while it can be pit, but it's got to be a steady diet of, you know, you have to ask yourself, what do you want? Do you want to win the national championship or do you want to be the champion of Western Pennsylvania? Can you do both? Certainly you can do both. But what brings with it more national cachet? Beating Pitt? Or beating Auburn. And if you answer beating Pitt, you're delusional. <laughs> yeah, that's an SEC team in there. 
Now, obviously, they've got Virginia Tech coming up. They've got West Virginia coming up. Virginia Tech will have some push to it. West Virginia, eh. I mean, fans can get to it. It's regional. But I think Penn State's beyond that now. They're beyond that. I mean, Penn State's playing the high-stakes game now. And it's great that they are. It is great that we can have this conversation. Penn State's playing the high-stakes game now. They're not just trying to survive. They're not just trying to get to a bowl game. They're not just trying to you know, get over 500, maybe get to eight or nine wins. They're trying to win you know, to get to the college football playoff now. They just missed last year. Well, when you're playing the high-stakes game, you have to have a high-stakes attitude to it as to, okay, what can I do beyond my conference to make it a difference maker to get there? Now, you can win it by beating Pitt. There's no doubt about that. And this year would be good proof of that. But again, it's not going to have that Wow, look, Ohio State played Texas. Wow, Ohio State played Oklahoma. Wow, USC played Alabama. It doesn't have that. Yeah, they they play Pitt. Now, yeah, they won. Okay, good. Pitt's a good team. But that spot, if you're playing the high stakes game, can't be good. It's got to be. It's got to be really good to great. If you if you want to if you if you want to play the high stakes game nationally it's what it's what they demand nationally that's what they demand I mean those those rivalries I talked about Louisville Clemson I mean Louisville Kentucky Clemson South Carolina Georgia Georgia Tech Florida Florida State they don't get a lot of run at the end of the year. I mean, yeah, hey, the Apple Cup, they're playing Washington, Washington State. Indiana's playing Purdue. You know, it's it's like, okay, here we go. Ohio State's playing Michigan. Here we go. UCLA's playing USC. Even, even rivalries are unranked on a scale. And when Penn State was playing Pitt every single year, there's a group of people I know that thought that felt Notre Dame was a bigger game the week before. That's just a matter of opinion. All right, we'll wrap it up in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK. City blocks of new Ford trucks. Over 40,000 trucks sold. SMC is where you want to be. Sunbury Motors Ford has over 110 new Ford trucks. And during July, they'll include a complimentary accessory package with the purchase of any new F-150. Through July 31st, receive a tonneau cover, molded splash guards, and window deflectors at no additional charge. SMC is where you want to be because they have the largest selection of new Ford trucks in all of central Pennsylvania. And that means the biggest savings. Take up to $13,500 off on new F-150s. And SMC has them starting as low as $23,919. Save up to seven grand on 2017 Ford Escapes, and they're slashed as low as $19,380. Explorers, Edges, and Expeditions have discounts up to eleven grand. SMC is where you want to be in July for this mega summer spectacular sale and the complimentary F-150 accessory package. Sunbury Motors in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury. F-150 accessory package valued at $6.99. Excludes prior sales and ordered units. Thank you.
understand why they did what they did a few years ago. I mean, look, but times change and circumstances change. And uh, you know, when we were around here for so many, many years, uh, uh, for many, many years, what what were we always told? The stated goal was to win the national championship. Well, there are a lot of things that get you there. T- talent and coaching, of course, being two of the primary ones. Having a great home field. I talked about the Ohio State game. The home field that night was unbelievable. But part of it, too, is that there was a realization here in the 70s that they weren't scheduled well enough. So in the 80s, they changed it. And in the 80s, they won two of them and played for a third. Now, it's also changed in how things are done. Penn State was an independent. They could seek out a Georgia. They could seek out an Oklahoma. They could seek out playing Miami in a bowl game. But now we've got the college football playoff, and every week brings with it a litmus test. And the stronger the opponent, the more interesting the litmus test becomes. And as I said last year, and I said this before the Pitt game last year, I said a win over Ohio State's more important than a win over Pitt. Proved out right. You're listening to News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury. You can hear us anywhere in the world with the Sunbury Broadcasting Corporation app.